0: Good. I'm so happy to see you all. Hope you're doing well. Well, this morning, we are going to break all of the rules. If you're a rule breaker, hopefully you're not, but we're going to break some rules here. If you're a math major, we're definitely going to break breaking the rules. If you're a kid, I want to ask you the question, because the adults, they may not get this one right, kids. So I can see you on your screen, so help me out here. Here's the math question that I want to ask you. What is greater? Is one greater or is one million greater? Which? What's the greater number? Raise your hand if you think one million is greater than one. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, good, good, good. All right, how many people think that one is greater than one million? Okay, a few hands and some smiles. Okay, all right, we'll see. Well, let's see. How this goes, we're going to find out from this morning in our scripture of Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 18. Again, I put the the title and the outline in the chat. So the author is going to teach us about perfection, and he's going to warn us and warn his audience about the misunderstanding of that math equation we just considered. So let's talk about the context of Hebrews 10. So, years later, after Palm Sunday had passed, after Jesus entered Jerusalem, had died for sin, and was resurrected, a Christian community grew up and grew up together. They were from a Jewish background, and they were wrestling with what Jesus' sacrifice means to them. And the author of Hebrews 10 is addressing their concern, that, and he's concerned that they might give up on Jesus, that they might... Uh, turn back or, or trust in some of the old ways, which in this case is the sacrificial system. But the author wants to convince them that Jesus is the point of all of the scriptures, and what Jesus did was far superior than all other attempts to bring someone close to God. So let's read Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 18. Point number one, what can't make you perfect? We have to remember the context here. For uh, for many thousands of years, there were animal sacrifices, and the system was instituted by God himself to remind people of their sin and their need to be right with God. So when these sacrifices happen, it means many things, but but a few things is that, that people get to see the cost and the weight of their own sin. Not only do you see value, a valuable loss happening with this animal that's worth something, you also see a life suffer for something it didn't do, but you were the one that was guilty. The sacrificial system was not meant to be forever but it was to point us ahead. If you look at verse one, he says, this is a shadow of the good things to come. So those good things that he's talking about is Jesus and his sacrifice and what it means. So in order for him to help his audience know what this means, he first has to tackle what uh, what can't make you perfect or what doesn't work. So this is point number one. Verse one. He he makes uh, many observations here and many repetitions. Look at verse one. He says, it can never, uses the word never, work. He says, these sacrifices are continually offered, or another translation says, repeated endlessly. Consider a repeated endless amount of animal sacrifices. How much blood, how many animals need to die? And then there would need to be more and more and more and more, and it would never be enough. Never be enough, no matter how many millions and millions and millions you were to sacrifice. He goes on to verse 2. He has really good logic. Look at verse 2. He says, if basically, if that was the case, if there could have been a limit where sin would have been atoned for by the many animal sacrifices, wouldn't they have stopped? It says, wouldn't they have ceased to be offered because then the worshippers would have been cleansed? Good logic. Verse three, he says, but in these sacrifices, the purpose is a reminder of sin. And again, he says in verse four, very plainly, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And if you look down at verse 11, he, he says it again, that day after day, night after night, these things can never take away sin. See, the author wants his audience to know and understand the meaning of the word impossible. What they might think is a good idea, they need to know that it will never work. This system of animal sacrifice was put in place by God and it was, it was there for a purpose when he says in verse, uh, verse three, that every year, I think he's alluding to uh, Leviticus 16, which is the description of the day of atonement. So once a year, the high priest would go in into the inner, inner room and go through the ritual so that the people of God would have assurance for forgiveness of sins. Just listen to this verse, Leviticus 16, 30. After the priest was done his ritual, it says this. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all of your sins. So this is the people of Israel that they were to know that they could have right standing before God. Yet this was a yearly ritual. It happened every year. And it was not, this atonement was not designed to be permanent. Because the author of Hebrews says, basically the true and lasting day of atonement has come. It wasn't that old system. It has come when Jesus enters Jerusalem and gives himself up as the sacrifice for once and for all, for the cleansing of sin. See, the temptation for the, the audience here and, and the temptation for other Christians and even us is, is to give up on Jesus and hold on to something that, that maybe looks nice, that maybe seems logical, but really it's never going to work when you try to find life outside of Jesus' sacrifice. I have another question for you guys, and you can raise your hands on this one. So imagine this. Imagine you're on a boat and you fall off the boat. And you're drowning in the water and someone sees that you need, that you need help and they look down and they see that there's a life raft there, you know, one of those little donut things and there's a sign that's pointing to the life, life raft. And in their, their hurry to save you, they grab both the sign and the life raft and they throw them to you. You only have time to grab one. Now, if you're drowning, raise your hand if you're going to grab the sign. Raise your hand if you're going to grab the life raft. Yes. Good. See, the key, and you know it inherently in that situation, is to know the effectiveness of what will help you in your time of need. And just like the animal sacrifices that went on in the Old Testament, we would be foolish to think or act in a way that shows that we trust in other things other than Jesus. Things like our works, our efforts, our accomplishments, in order to look good before God. And that kind of thinking, we have to realize, will never work. It cannot bring you closer to God. In fact, it probably will alienate you further from God as you trust in yourself. It wasn't that long ago that I was pondering life and... Uh, you know, praying and, and having a good time uh with the Lord. And and a thought came into my mind that went something along the lines like this. You know, I've done some pretty good things for God over my life, and I bet He's pretty happy with me. And soon after I, I realized that I was thinking that and cherishing that moment, I realized, what am I doing? See, I wasn't really rejoicing in in and being thankful what God has done for me. But I was holding on to my worth before God, like something that I could offer to him to to, uh, to to please him and not resting on Jesus. The desperation over sin and my true understanding of my need were covered over by my focus on what I could do. In other words, I was holding on to that sign. And forgetting about the life raft. The things that I could do. Rather than on Jesus. Have you ever had thoughts like that? Maybe you felt the pressure to perform better because of sin. Because of a failure. And somehow you need to to make it up to God. As if you were going to be the sacrifice now for that sin. Rather than Jesus. See. Again, these sacrifices, these efforts, the the, the best meaning and the well-wishing that's out there, they can never wipe out sin, which is our biggest problem. And if we lose sight of that, we're going to miss everything. Instead, what we need to do is we need to come to Jesus and take that dependence on ourselves or dependence on a system or a religion or whatever you want to call it And that needs to turn into a dependence on Jesus and his sacrifice. It needs to turn from an allegiance to self, an allegiance to a system, to an allegiance to Jesus. Consider your own heart. Where might you be holding on to the sign rather than holding on to Jesus and ignoring that life raft? The author of Hebrews 10 wants his audience to know very clearly what will not work, what can't make them perfect in the sight of God. But he has good news. Point number two, he focuses the rest of our time here, verses five through the end, on what can make you perfect. If you look down at the scripture, verses uh, five through, through 7 it's it's a little indent, indented into your bible that's because he's quoting psalm 40 and he's basically putting these words into Jesus's mouth basically saying that when Jesus comes into the world these things are fulfilled and they were written a thousand years before by by king david and in verses 8 through 10 he interprets his quote of psalm 40 in verse 8 if you look down he says that uh he he offered these things according to the law. So these, these sins or these sacrifices and these offerings were right, and they were according to the law. But in verse 9, he says that uh, that was the first order, and those were paving the way for what he calls the second order. He said at the end of verse 9, the first order enable, enabled to, in order to establish the second order. So he explains in verse 10 that that second order is found in Jesus' body, that he's the one who gives it up. He's the one that uh, we are sanctified through the offering of his body, Jesus Christ. If you Again, today is Palm Sunday. If you remember, Jesus going to Jerusalem, setting his face to Jerusalem for this mission to be the sacrifice for sins. And the result is verse 10. For us who believe and trust in Jesus, we have been sanctified. He uh, he goes on, the author goes on to underscore his point here. Look at verse uh, 10. I want to point out a couple more things. It's at the end of verse 10. It says, once for all. Once. Verse 12. It says, when Christ had offers sin for all time, a single sacrifice. Other translations say one sacrifice. Verse 14 says the same thing. For by a single offering or a one offering, it says he is perfected for all time or perfected for eternity. And then in verse 18 at the end, he says, where there, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So he's implying that that one sacrifice took care of everything. And here you can see that math equation that we started with, how we're turning the world upside down. You can see how it's true. Hopefully you can see that no matter what good you do or how hard you try, it will never be enough. The one sacrifice of Jesus is greater than all of it. And you cannot outdo that sacrifice. You can only submit to it. Now, what do you guys think? What's bigger? One or one million? See, I think our problem with that math equation is really, is believing that it's really that good. It really is that amazing that Jesus has died for our sins. Now, trusting in him you have that assurance you you have these words that are true from hebrews 10 but does that mean that now you have a like a, a get out of jail free card like you would in the game of monopoly and you can just pull it out whenever you need it well no verse 14 helps us to uh to see how we should live our lives if you look at it he says that jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified there are two verb tenses here that are, that are sort of mind blowing. It says future tense perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So, so what, what's going on here? How can both of these things be true? Well, they are. And what it means is that we can rest confidently in knowing that there is forgiveness of sin, that it is removed once and for all. But there is a perfecting going on day by day, moment by moment, in each of our hearts that God is doing in us. God does not want to leave you the way that you were. He wants to change you. He wants to change your heart. He wants to change your character, your hope, your joy. And like I mentioned earlier, understanding the weight of this forgiveness will turn your heart And your allegiance and your dependence away from self, away from system to Jesus. Another way to say it is looking at verse 17 and living every moment of every day in light of these words. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. When you recognize your sin and you evaluate your heart and maybe you come to God and and you think, I I can't... I'm I, I I I'm so crushed over the sin. What have I done? And and how could you forgive me for this? And according to verse seventeen, he says, "What are you talking about?" He will remember sins no more. I'm moved. I'm undone when I consider that. When the weight of sin is crushing, and you realize it has. It has been lifted because of what Jesus has done. Consider that. Ponder on and rejoice in the immense, the huge, the magnificent, wonderful, amazing, and unending amount of adjectives that could be added when we consider our sin and the forgiveness that covers it all and wipes it all out for eternity. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Jesus' one sacrifice has taken care of sin for all time and eternity. And that math equation is true. His one sacrifice is for you. His love is for you. And that is enough. And again, if you try to ignore or work around it, you'll get nowhere. It will never work. Jesus' sacrifice and trusting in him will make you perfect in God's sight. Verse 14, by single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's how it works. So let's conclude here. The author is helping his audience to see that works that sacrifices, that's, that rituals, false hopes, or even good vibes, none of that will work. None of that can ever work, no matter how many there are. It will never be enough. But on the other hand, a life given over to Jesus, trusting in Him because of His once and for all sacrifice is enough and is worth it.